no difficulties. Okay, so we're trying out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another flow forward. We're trying out this new Discord stage thingy, and uh, it's a little feature light. You can't pop the thing out yet. I'm assuming that'll be a thing later. And it's, uh, you can't turn cameras on either, which I'm assuming will be a thing later. And what was the other thing we noticed that was weird about it? Anyway, welcome. It's Friday. How is everyone out there? How's everyone here? Doing pretty good. Good. I'm good. I'm doing all right. I've been productive. Yeah, me too. It's been it's been nice. Um, yes. Uh, welcome to Flow Forward, everyone. <laughs> I'm just gonna do like five intros, and I'll get one. One of them will be right. Uh, yeah. So welcome to Flow Forward. It's Friday. Uh, this is Rob. Joining me tonight is Catrice. Hi, Catrice. Hey. Capoeira's here tonight. Hello. Yeah, I am. For some, some reason. reason. Just, you know, go with it. Uh, Mark's here tonight. Hello. Hello. Auntie's joining us tonight. Auntie. Uh, Auntie's um, joining us. Auntie's mic is muted. Monty, Monty has signed off. Okay. Yeah, he actually just sent a message. Oh, that's her died. died. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, flail forward. We will, we will um, flail forward in this case. Without Monty for the time being, but he will be here. I'm I'm certain as soon as his power returns. Uh, yeah, probably. Yep. Anyway, all right. So the topic tonight, we have a topic tonight, and that topic is uh, how do you relate to character, and meaning how do you get your hooks into a character? Um, and I guess we should start by by um, Briefly describing our experiences with that, uh, maybe, maybe like the first character that really grabbed you, um, where you invested heavily, and uh, maybe at what point you realized you were invested heavily, or what moment did it for you? Catrice, you want to start, or maybe we shouldn't start with Catrice. Maybe should, no, start with Catrice. <laughs> Catrice, go first and be brief. Mm. What have you done? <laughs> um. I actually don't know what the first character I would have been heavily invested in was. Like, I know that I made like a ton of characters. Like, I would just sit down and make characters that I was probably never going to use, but I would have been invested with them easily. But in terms of ones that I've actually been invested in, mm. uh, Hmm. Probably an open role play character that I made when I was in like a really shitty mood that lasted for many years afterward that I actually <laughs> kind of liked. Okay. But that's interesting. I don't know. This is just something that was that was in a bad oh. mood on like a Christmas and I'm just like, fuck it, I'm gonna join like some a uh, random open role play and thing online, and that just kept the character forever. And they grew over time, so kind of grew attached to them over time. Before that, it was 
I don't think most of the role playing that I've done it really gotten all that in depth in general. Like mm. I played D and D and such before, but the characters were they weren't super in depth. They didn't really go anywhere. the The games that we were playing were not very well put together. Um, no one really knew yet, like mm-hmm. how to run a game. Like trying to run second edition AD and D as rules are written what, what? is mm-hmm. not very good for making a character that you're attached to. <laughs> so, fair, fair enough. What was the thing that really pulled you into that particular character? I'm. I'm honestly not sure off the top of my head. I'm gonna have to think about that one while somebody else goes. Give me well, a few minutes to, just to build on it. I, I think it's really interesting because I I think of you as a very creative person, um, and it was when it's like I don't know when I'm designing a game system when I look at a game system I'm considering how it tries to steer the the building their characters towards sort of the end goal of like this will fit with our game system with our world with the kind of setting we want to create and you really needed something that was just like this is open like, there are there are fewer rules here than most other traditional role-playing games and that worked for you to be able to create your character in the way that you wanted to or i guess that resonated with you enough that you carried it forward maybe i think Thinking on it a little bit more now, I think a lot of it is probably partially what you said. Like, I think a lot of it, though, really did come down to just, I can play this character as much as I want, not just, oh, I'm going to play this in this horrible campaign with the GM that has no clue what they're doing and is basically the embodiment of every negative trope of the GMPC. I see. Mm. And it's like, this game is not going to last very long. Like, the character is not going to do anything in the game. They basically exist as cannon fodder for the GMPC. Is like, yeah, for previous, like, my D&D experiences early on were really not good. It was like all the negative stereotypes you've ever seen. So it was like... (laughs) I just never really got invested in the character because there was no point. But the first character I had that was like, there's no rules. I can basically stick this character around as long as I want to and Mm -hmm. can just let them grow over time. Like, I I think that kind of helped. And I think a lot of it helped that I could do things that you couldn't do in D&D at the time, like the the character in question was a lich which focused on like you know using blood magic to kite mm-hmm. try to keep herself looking somewhat alive still and such so like a countess bathory type thing yeah it's kind of like countess bathory type thing Sweet. in a lot of ways okay it it was an interesting i idea in a lot of ways like there is stuff like you know, raised by dragons, missing arm because play fighting with dragons does not go over so well. Uh-huh. Stuff like that. So, yeah, it was, it was a lot of little things like that that basically meant that this was 
basically my character because if I looked at him like d and I actually could not build this character according to the rules because it would not just be an evil character. It would be, you are not allowed to play this under the right. rules. Right, right, right. And it's like, huh. But this one I can actually do whatever I want with. And I think that made like a, a big impact on it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I knew I would still be playing this a year from now if I felt like still playing it a year from mm-hmm. now. So it was, so what I'm hearing is like two different things. One, like the freedom to fully explore a character uh, without the rules holding you back. And then also the potential like length of exploring that character. Like Mm. not just, not just the depth, but like the amount of time you'd get to do it. Like, and, and, and how that felt like limitless felt good. As opposed to the, the the limited experience you had you had had and were sort of like inured to, and so like I had the same a similar experience when I tried GURPS over D and D because it was like GURPS was a point by thing and it looked like oh geez I can do I can do anything I'm not limited to a clan was you know like a breath of fresh air so like the first character I got really attached to was a GURPS character. Yeah, it, I think this is probably going to show up at least somewhat like this topic that mm. if you wanted to grow attached to a character there has to be something to attach yourself to and there has to be an expectation that the attachment is going to pay off because like right if this is like i had a stretch where i was playing with one particular group for probably two or three years and every two or three sessions we started a new campaign because somebody else would get want to gm and they'd start like a completely new campaign new characters and it's like Mm. i got so sick of it i was like why even bother making and putting any effort into making this character they're going to be gone in one to three sessions i'm not right time to grow attached to them so why even bother Mm. so i i think that that is kind of important as well like it's very much so a case uh if they aren't gonna last don't get too attached like maybe there'll be nice memories and such but there are there's just there's no real incentive to want to get attached to this character's story like their personality and so on because what's the point of growing Mm -hmm. attached to a story if the story's not going to go anywhere right or if you feel like you're not going to get you're not going to have time for a satisfying ending yeah yeah or Or any ending right 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 all right kevlar do you have do you have a character that you became attached to? Because you are notorious for one-shotting stuff, but I know for a fact, or at least you have said, you have finished a campaign of 13th Age. So well, yeah, but I was wondering that. So well, okay. Uh this is two this is like three different questions for me. So okay. we'll see, give let me explain what I mean by that. There is like the first, like the first uh GM character, like returning NPC I had a lot of investment in. There's the first thing where it was actually fully someone someone else's thing, where I was invested in a character that I, uh, 
And then there's the how should I phrase this? The for, and then there's the difference of like how we got invested in uh kind of the online thing. Oh, sorry, I'm not even trying to phrase this anymore here. But the way I develop investment with what I am doing, uh, the online an online character is different, but it doesn't mean. And actually, I should probably talk about investment in one-shot characters because that is the thing for me. Okay. Oh God, I have a lot to answer. Okay. Okay. So let's let's start with. Okay, so my first campaign, I, I had a lot of fun playing the recurring NPC that was the member of the Cup Umbrella who was the who was designated to try to capture their old friends and just putting them in various hopeless situations and trying to make them look and having them try to be legitimate every single time they had to come back and coming up with new motivations for not giving up. I had a lot of I had to put a lot into that in order to keep them interesting. So it kind of led a lot. And I had mm. a like very first campaign. I had an NPC that I was honestly more invested in than some of the PCs I've made because the it just because of the nature of it, I guess. Yeah, I, I've been there. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll definitely share something about that. Okay, so uh, first actual character. Uh, so there, uh, I I have never been like. Hmm, I should pay phrases. Uh, there aren't a lot of like. Uh, let me just say this one part here. Like, I am night. I am. I run games ninety nine percent of the time. So I have only played like in flesh with three or four times as a player in like. Across like maybe ten sessions. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I know. That, that's very different from my experience. <laughs> yeah. I know it is. Uh, yeah. Interesting. I have run a lot of games in flesh, but like I said, I was the person who was running it, so like it only ever happened when I was like when one of the other players wanted to do something. Uh, mm -hmm. And like, it, of course, I would let them run. And, but uh, so the first. Character I have I was ever significantly invested in that was actually like a player character. Player character uh was uh God I I can only half remember them. I think it was some variation. Was it World of Darkness or GURPS or D and D? And I trying to remember what system it was. <laughs> Sorry, I can't even remember what system they're from. That's wow. That's, that's, that would have been pretty forefront in my mind, but okay, that's huh. <laughs> yeah, I mean that because that's that that just informs so much about the character for me. That would be hmm. That's fascinating. Yeah, uh, it was uh, like a three session thing, and oh god, it was mutants and masterminds, but it was a weird. Uh, Horror-themed Mutants and Masterminds. I think it was Mutants and Masterminds. It was something adjacent to it. It, it was E20-based. Okay. Uh, I do remember that, but it was E20-based and very much, like, D20-based and point by. So I'm, I'm going to say it's Mutants and Masterminds. Like, okay. That, that's just the logic I'm using. Right. But, uh, uh, 
Yeah, they were basically uh for uh Basically, I just played, uh, God, how to describe this character without uh, talking for 30 minutes because I was, <laughs> uh, that's a, like that campaign. A lot happened in three sessions. Let's put it that this way. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to like back because <laughs> the stakes meant nothing, basically. If okay. you get so like things move quickly. So I'm trying to get back to the original character and like trying to trying to stretch out like their actual progression instead of remembering like six different minor scenes. I'm sorry, the spin part of my brain isn't very well organized. <laughs> As you might have noticed. Uh, I think that yeah, they were a horrible container for curses that uh basically only existed because all the different things that had claims on their souls uh, couldn't sort out who had the best claim. <laughs> and one of the other people in the party was the, was one of the demons that managed to get into the real world that was monitoring them to make sure nobody cheated. This sounds satanic. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there was a bit, of, there was a bit of Satan, but there was also some uh Cthulhu adjacent things okay. in there too. <laughs> this sounds Cthulhuanic. Yeah, How dare yeah. you? You offend me. Yeah, no, uh, not really. Uh, yeah, so they were just they were somehow their role in the party was oh god, uh, basically having a bunch of social contacts in the weird in the weirdest places because it's like. Uh, and trying to figure, uh, basically trying to sort out, okay, I'm in this situation, how the hell do I get, how the hell do I get out of it, instead of, uh, without making more contact tracks with more things that I should make contracts with, because that's how I tried to solve all my previous problems. And, um... <laughs> Anyway, that that was basically the character, but like thinking about like their motivations and like having to try to exist in that headspace mm -hmm. was required investment. Let's put it that way. So, what was was that? What was that? What really grabbed you about playing that character? The kind of like the fact I was forced to be grabbed. I guess <laughs> like I could not play that character unengaged because how? Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. So, so it was the fact that it was you had to try and think about a way of thinking so divergent from your own thinking that it it, it took effort just to just to hold the perspective. Yes, pretty much. Okay. Cool. That, that, that's the short version, and also effort to and also like effort to keep track of everything that was going on. Right. Anyway. On, top of, on top of actually doing the story bit, you are yeah. also trying to. Is that why so much, so many of like the stuff, stuff, like, I don't know how you put games you write, how much game you write, how many game, because it's like the, the muchness in your individual games has a lot to do with putting your headspace into a mode of thinking that's so divergent 
from the normal okay so headspace part... of a human having a day okay so part of that is uh it's how you understand it, what i'm saying i i understand actually uh, like okay. that's actually a really interesting insight into my design but a lot of my counter to that which isn't really a counter is a lot of what they're motivated and is hyper focusing on something mm-hmm. and we're building out from something i understand that is not a shared experience and trying to turn it into something that is functionally a shared experience and that's a really weird... okay i don't quite okay i don't quite understand what you said there go back okay and say again. so basically um i'm trying to build out like there's generally speaking the uh the core like uh, how do i explain this is the headspace core of a lot of my games uh is based on a place where that's adjacent to a place where i exist and focusing bringing it to the forefront and making it central instead of sideways and then trying to make that into trying to convert that into a, into a place that other people can understand and think about, yes. it, okay. think about those things in a way put them into a concrete space that other people can think of and relate to right so, to so what you're trying to do is take one of your okay so so let me let me explain that back to you and see if how close i am mm-hmm. uh you are taking one of your um modes of viewing the world that is sort of like I use this filter maybe 10% of the time um, or with 10% intensity, let's say maybe. Uh, yeah. And and you're like, what would happen if I blew that up to 90% intensity? Oops, I just smacked the mic. Sorry. Blew that up to 90% intensity and then backfill so that it... So that it Made uh, sense. Yeah, like approaches another human being. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So... It's weird and then, like, and then and then allowing and then scaffolding their move sets so that the person is playing them is forced to participate in their fiction. Yes. Okay. That would be that would be the summary of my game design in a way that I wish I had written down somewhere because it's actually very insightful now that I look at it backwards. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> Consolation. That's basically how I've been making characters for like novels and games for a while now. But that's not how I built like an entire game. So yeah, but on a different scale. (laughs) (laughs) Well, your entire game is a thousand pages long and about an entire uh, nine years. Yes, but it, your game is a lot wider than a lot of the games I want to write because I don't because I wouldn't want to write a game that wide. I don't blame you. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I don't so, blame you either. I mean, this. Yeah. So how? Let's move on to the third point. I'm sorry for getting stuck on this for so long. <laughs> this is the conversation. What do we? What you tell you? This is not stuck. This is we're doing the thing. Okay. Uh, so let's talk about investment in online characters, etc. Because okay, mm-hmm. so how I do this is uh, I read through the I read through the book and uh, like or whatever there is presented for me, and right. I look at what and i just basically usually something's gonna jump out at me like there's gonna be something that 
this would be an interesting take on the universe as established here. So let's make this. And if I come out of that process and not happy with the character, I just make another one until I get something I'm happy with. And I know, like, and I can think of at least three directions. They might be pushed depending on who they're with mm. and how things shake out. Mm -hmm. And then they end up going in a fifth direction instead. But uh, <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Uh, the, but basically, it's I I just look at the material presented and then try to find like something that I can latch onto and make into an oddity. And some and usually I can just do that. And I don't know what to say more than that. But that's this isn't very useful for designing your game around it because I have been inspired by some real uh how should I phrase this? Some real bare bones things, but because it's just reading into attention too hard, or just focusing on okay, what, what's everybody else bringing, and what would be interesting to to throw into that without being disruptive to them. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, I think a bit of that I ignored is, in, unless nobody know, else knows what to make, I will generally go look at what else is there and try to make something. That is coherent with everything else because that tends to work better for getting everybody invested i think mm -hmm. <laughs> once again well forward is uh endorses session zero <laughs> yes <laughs> interestingly i found that's, that's, that I, that's the t-shirt interestingly i found that i actually kind of prefer doing like what Kofara was saying like mm -hmm. it going to be like a group of people i usually want to make my character idea last to fit into whatever everybody else is doing because i'm usually adaptable enough that whatever they're doing i can do something that'll work with it right. and they'll probably give me something interesting to work with yeah i think that's mm -hmm. very much like an experienced player idea too where like you've uh I don't know. I don't want to say like the spark is gone, but like you know, when you're you're first excited to play D and D, you're like, oh, I get to meet Legolas, and you're like, that's awesome. Um, but as you've played the game, you kind of experience it. There's a little bit more of a feeling of like, hang on a second, like this isn't just about me and my like power trip. It's about how we all interact together and like how we get to synergize as a team, or uh, even our personalities and our like backstories, and we can play with that. Um, so I think that's more of the the idea of like when you get invested in a character, it's really about being able to tell a story with the people around the table with you, um, and that definitely comes from just like having experienced it. Also, we actually have a viewer question related to what like Jay said about Spark. Is Spark measured or more realistic, more focused? Like, how do you mean the Spark is gone? I guess. Yeah, I guess I meant it as like there's there's sort of a um I don't know, I don't know how to measure it, but uh I see it as like the interaction that you have with the game is the novelty of it. And I think that kind of or hmm, it's more yeah, no, no, I, I was I was uh no, I was I think you're right. It's the um 
is there anything more to learn about this character is is i feel like where i don't know there there's times when i get bored of a character because um like i've just exhausted their possibilities on some right. level um and i don't feel like i can do more and i can't progress or there's a um or I'm just sick of playing as them for some reason. Like there, there's a hitting the level cap. Yeah, hitting the level cap. It doesn't not necessarily what? because there's 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 still fun to be had there. I think, but it depends on if there's still cool stuff to do at the level cap, and if there's like I shouldn't talk at the ceiling. That was stupid. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was leaning back. Um, but no, if there's cool stuff to do with the level cap, then um you can keep it going. But it's the I think it, it's I think it's it, curiosity about the game world or curiosity about um where there is left to go. Like if it's the same if it if at some point there's there's too much sameness, like it just turns into a rescue the princess after rescue the princess after rescue the princess, and you're just like, well. Uh, we did this, like, and this doesn't feel like we're learning new stuff or anything like that. So that's that's when I that's when the spark gets diminished for me. But it, it, I think it's 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 just losing that curiosity, right? Yeah. I okay. Two things. So first off, it's not quite what I meant by hitting the level cap. More so, is like once you hit the level cap, it's like oh well, this form of progression is gone it feels almost like a waste to be playing this character instead of a different one that doesn't have this so that they can still grow in that manner like mm -hmm. so you kind of hit that level cap it's like some of the enjoyment is gone that was there previously yeah i i'd say it's the the curiosity that brings you back to like i want to sit down and play this character and that that's the spark. And if that, like, I think there's the, the fiction uh, aspect of it where it's like, my character has their own story and I'm kind of tired of it. Um, and that makes it less exciting. Or there's the idea of, um, I know what I do. I sit at the back and I shoot my, like, I swing my sword or whatever, I shoot my bow, and then I wait till the next turn. Like, maybe I hit, maybe I miss, and that's what I do. Um, and, like, those are both very valid ways of losing the spark of intrigue for your character mm -hmm. um, that I think applies. So either that like level cap or uh, like I've exhausted the abilities that I think I can use or sort of the um, my character is their own island of story and I'm not really interacting with anyone else or the direction that we're currently going in so I'm not as invested. Uh, I think those are both things that I've seen. So Okay. To answer Mark's original question, though, now that we've covered like the tangent, <laughs> okay, you were like, was it like missing the spark? And I was like, not really. So usually, what I found is that this is actually oddly enough closer to the meme about it, where there's one where it's like, oh, your first character is like, oh my god, I get to play a Lego loss. The fifth D&D &D character you make is, 
Uh, yeah, it's a loaf of bread that uses mage hand to carry itself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's like once you've kind of done all the basic generic tropes, like you've made enough characters, I think you're correct that if you are a more experienced player, you've probably gone through most of like the basic stuff already. And at that point, it's like, okay, I want to test out like this new bizarre thing. And it's more so as soon as some, like the other people in the party have decided like what they're going to play, then that's like, I can fit into almost anything that they start. Like I'm adaptable enough that I can fill the hole pretty easily if they come up with some really ridiculous group of characters that they want to play i i can find something that will be strange and interesting enough for me to to fit in with covering whatever gaps they've left open right so Mm -hmm. it's not like a huge deal for me but because like i don't i also don't like stepping on people's toes like one of the worst feelings I have is is kind of partially like the niche protection thing. Like, oh crap, I just picked basically the kind of character that you wanted to play. It's like, I don't like doing that to other people. Like, I I will enjoy playing almost anything that I come up with. I don't want to make them mm-hmm. play something that they don't want to because they may not have that same level of adaptability. If there's one thing they really wanted to do, then yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so well, just noticing, we seem to have someone named Helix in Friday Night Table Talk that is yeah, about that is to turn this Okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I was going to say is... Uh, I object to Mark saying I have lost any type of spark. And (laughs) I I find I am making more interesting characters that I am more engaged with. (laughs) Although I've never, like, intentionally copied something from fiction. Although apparently uh, I accidentally made a character that is very similar to to a character that is in media, a piece of media I have never actually experienced. At least twice. But that's beside the point. Um, <laughs> to be fair, one of them was a villain. And, like, they were an NPC. So that barely counts, right? Uh, anyway. <laughs> but, yeah. With Inspired by Inspiration is a lot more how these things fit together or how these characters play off each other. And if I kind of want to let the conversation flow past this, but I should probably talk about getting invested in one-shot characters before we lose that. Please. Okay. Okay. Um, Also, we did have another message from the audience, which was uh, can be difficult, yeah, particularly where the role within the gamer party can have overlap. And is there a situation where it's hard not to step on someone else's toes? Or there, there is a situation where it's hard not to do that? Um, 
I'd say if there aren't like very clearly defined niches, then it can be tricky. Um, yeah. Like Play, playbooks uh, can define that. Exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Was that like one yeah. of the big innovations was playbooks, where it's very yeah. much like this is this is yours, and there's only one of you. Uh, because even in the the D and classes, like you could have I don't know a paladin and a fighter in the team, and they might still do the same thing. They might want to both be like I don't know the the tanks in front of the fight or whatever, and then that kind of holds in what their niche is in the game, and they're both trying to do the same thing or um, might conflict in certain cases. Uh, so, yeah, and it's especially more prevalent, I think, with games that have totally open character concepts. Like, even with um, Praxis, uh, my game, it's very open and accepting to whatever character concepts you have. So if two people were to come in and not have talked about what kind of character they wanted to play beforehand, then I think that um, it invites a lot more of the stepping on other people's toes. So that's why I try to make sure that the character creation is baked into when you sit down all together and everyone kind of comes up with their own flavor of what their character is like um, with each other at the table. And I think that helps in um, mitigating that. So everyone has their own unique idea. Yeah. And I think there's a um, something to be said for that kind of so ashes does the same thing right where you start playing together and the the character creation is part of play and um it it, it in one way it doesn't matter if two people do the same thing there's going to be it 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 doesn't matter that's fine like it, there's no there's no there's no need to have niche protection you can have any kind of asymmetry in the um among the player characters and cover for it in any number of ways um so that that's something that i always wanted to address because where there are where our game system does have the ability to um give you more breadth of ability uh starting out so Sorry. Um, uh, when you have more breadth of ability starting out, um, you have the ability to step on each other's toes to some extent. So, so there, it's possible to choose the same class or um, it's possible to everybody plays an archer, right? Um, yeah. And there's some systems that are fine with that because archery is a tiny part of it uh so like if every if somebody did that and if you did that in GURPS for example everybody's an archer in GURPS that's fine that's one skill maybe two um everybody's an archer in D&D like oh okay well now we have no healer now we have no uh uh yeah, spellcaster now we have maybe we now have no support like there's it's there's the way games structure that choice has a lot to do with if niche protection is a desirable thing or not. It's not just niche protection. I think it, a part of it is going to be that the way the game is gamified, like how much of it is a game mm -hmm. and how much it wants to enforce the concept of 
Um, it's actually something that Sabrina and I were talking about previously on the uh, mm-hmm. in the general chat was the thing about um, some almost all of these games assume that you're going to be working as a team, but how you work as a team is different. Like, are you going to be working as a team in the sense that, oh, everybody is a mage, everybody can pitch in on casting this ritual spell because everybody has this ability. So they're all working together on it. Or does it look at the team as being like individuals where it's like, this individual is the tanky character. This is the stealthy character. This is the healer character. And they work together as a group because anytime they run into a situation where there's a problem, there's always one of them that's actually capable of handling this task where the others would have failed on their own. So it's, they become a team because they're filling in each other's gaps. Mm-hmm. So, dependent upon the type of game style you're looking at, I think that like the niche protection is part of that second form, but I think it's a larger issue than just the niche protection. It's really is your teamwork focused on the concept of everybody is a unique individual that they bring something unique to the team. And that's why you have the niche protection in the first place. We got so far down this rabbit hole, I forget where we were. Okay, what was the question? Right, how do you attach the character? Okay, so niche protection helps you attach the character by not letting you overlap and feel like you're not pulling your weight, quote unquote. However the the game conceptualizes that, right? It it would I think more than removing the negative, I think mm-hmm. it's more of a positive in that this is something that I can do. This is something that only I can do, which makes it interesting to the player in a lot of mm-hmm. cases. Because mm-hmm. if you get the feeling of, why am I even here? Because, you know, the fucking bard can just do my job better than me. <laughs> um, that kind of plays a big role in whether you're actually interested in the character or not. Like if there's no purpose for you to be there, it kind of saps a lot of the desire to be there in general. Mm. Right. Yeah. You want, you want to be creating a meaningful experience when you show up and, you know, having your, as you put it, you know, the, the, another character doing your job better than you is one of those things that can rapidly suck the meaning out of a session. Yeah, I feel you. Um, There's, there is another thing that I think that is probably also really important to this mm-hmm. that's related to niche production, which is um, this is more something that I learned when I was looking at like um, MOBA game so um, okay that's relevant here yeah it is actually in this case because um they tend to have like a lot of characters like Mm -hmm. usually like a hundred plus the thing is if you're playing one of these games people recognize fairly quickly 
but they don't necessarily notice it in a conscious manner, but they register it in an intuitive manner that once they find their character, like their main character, the character that they happen to like, the play style of, the personality, the lore, something like that. Like these are pre-listed established characters, which is a little bit different than like tabletop role-playing games where you tend to create your own. Mm. But once you find a character that matches up with your aesthetics, like, oh, you like how they look, you like their personality, you mm. like their gameplay. If all of these things mash up together in a single character that you personally like, you're going to love the game and you're going to grow attached to that character. You'll probably play that character a lot, even if they end up like doing something like changing the character's lore in a way you don't like, or they change the character to play in a way you don't like or they nerf them and make them so that they're not very powerful in the current meta you still had people would well this is my character i like this character mm. i don't oh. want to leave this character because it's mine right right <laughs> and that i think parts of that do translate over to tabletop role-playing games especially mm -hmm. in like this whole niche protection thing where it's like part of it's not so much the niche that's being protected it's the play style mm. so you can have two tanky characters and normally it's not a problem as long as they play very differently to one another like if you have one that you know everybody just hides behind me and I will keep you safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's one kind of play style. It's a sort of a mindset thing, too. Mm -hmm. And then you have the other character that takes on sort of the mama bear role. Like, if you touch my children, I will fucking end you. Mm -hmm. And if you have these two very different styles of tanky characters where they're each playing a very similar role but they're doing it in a very different flavor of that role mm -hmm. i think that's actually something that will uh, let players grow attached to the character because it's something like this is the mindset that embodies what i want to do mm -hmm. i enjoy this i want to be like this or at least for a, t a limited time with this character i want to i want to experience what it's like to be like this Anyway, right, sorry. you're 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 no 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 you're you, so so in that design you're letting them live out a particular kind of fantasy experience a particular kind of fictional narrative that that allows them to um, uh, resonate with and, and the goal is to resonate with the character strongly, right? So so to the extent that the game lets them do that. Um, They'll find that 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 they're they're drawn forward through the narrative because they're they're attached. Yeah. Um, I I think that might be an issue that a lot of people have with games that have very strictly defined roles, like say mm -hmm. the stereotypical support character in most games is the healer. They 
stand around, wait for people to get hurt, and then they heal their health. Mm-hmm. If that's not what you want to do, but you still want to be useful to your allies, like you want to support them somehow, you want to do stuff for them, you want to be like, oh, you're an invaluable asset. Like we could not have done this without you, but you weren't attacking, you weren't tanking, you were you weren't healing. It's like a lot of games don't really do much with that. But like the thing that I was working on earlier today that you saw, the uh yeah. the Guilars uh that I was reworking today, they're a heavy support class, but they can't heal at all. But they do like a ton of really heavy support uh things that they will cripple enemies they'll move like um status effects between various targets so enemy freezes one of your allies they'll just yank the freeze off your ally and apply it to like the entire enemy team and freeze them instead like things like this are extremely useful support abilities but it's not just healing and I think having a game that has more options for the kinds of characters you can play, the different play styles, like it's not just in combat, but combat's like a good example is if you can't do the type of thing that you want to do in the game, then you're probably not going to grow that attached to the character. Yeah. There's, Thinking back on characters that I've played and where I got attached, um, I'm, I, I think I got attached most to um, hmm. It's hard to say. Because I can think of like probably the first character I got attached to was my first GURPS character, which was a very strange. So it was, we were playing some sort, it was some sort of fantasy. I wasn't, I don't know if it was Earth, um, Y-R-T-H, or if it was with the the GM had come up with, but it was some sort of fantasy. And I was like, you know, I was eight or whatever. (laughs) Yeah eight and a half or something like that. And I was like, I want to play a robot. And he's like, to his credit, he he was like, and this is, you know, he's like nine or something like that. He's like, okay, you could be a golem powered by like a milestone. And I was like, I, I don't know what those words mean, but that sounds cool. Uh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and so um, he, he was like a, he had gigantism and so i just went through the book and picked out like the disadvantages that i sound i found coolest like gigantism makes you big okay that sounds rad Uh, i'm gonna be gigantic and i'm gonna have bloodlust and uh what's the other one (laughs) you have bloodlust as a robot (laughs) i don't know i know Um, it happens fiction all the time yeah yeah you get like it's just, it just means you go for the kill varieties, right? You're you're is anti pacifist, um, and he had a hook for a hand, and it was totally bizarre character, um, and 
I we played it for like maybe geez, four three two years, maybe something like that. Um about ba- like bouncing between different worlds and like um yeah, it was strange. Then we did like a supers game after that, and that character was cool, but it was basically just a copy of uh Dark Phoenix. I, yeah, that's what I was reading at the time. So it was like, oh, that's that's the coolest character in comics right now to, uh, you know, an 11-year-old. Uh, and uh, I, what was the one after that? I, it was, there was kind of like a stretch where I was just GMing games for like a couple of years until uh, friends got into third edition. And then... The first third edition character I made, I played to 21st level or something like that. It was, we basically kept up with the Watsi release schedule right to Epic level. When the Epic level handbook came out, like we were all like 20th level or 19th level or something like that. And um, that that first campaign stretched into into 21st level. I can't remember how how it came to an end exactly. Uh, but I think it was like somebody, I think like three of us moved or something like that. It was one of those things. Uh, um, yeah, but it was, um, or, oh, you know what it was? It was a college thing. That's what it was. Uh, and, uh, so, so, um, so that, I was a catch to that character. That was a monk. That was the first D and D monk I had played. Uh, and that was pretty fun, even though it was, this was like, this was third edition, not 3.5. So the monk was like comically underpowered. And, but the DM let me have half celestial as a template because I was starting the game at, uh, when late at like third level. So I was like, can I have a level of monk and a level of half celestial? Cause it says plus one challenge rating. And he's like, yeah, that sounds fine. And I was like, cool. And I come to find out later that adds way more than that in equivalent levels, but it just made the monk like, on par with the fighter and the paladin. <laughs> oh, so, so it was, it was, I, I, my play experience was okay because I, the DM didn't really like, it wasn't, it wasn't apparent at that time, like how wonky the numbers were, like what, what challenge rating versus level meant and what, um, what effective, buffs meant you know stuff like that so there was a weird there was a time when it was like it wasn't apparent how third edition was really busted yet um and it's the kind of thing that you notice more as it gains in levels right like third edition is kind of, is pretty famous for having a really uh decent power curve after second level uh up until about sixth or seventh and then it starts getting really really strange depending on the group like sometimes it's normal for another five six seven levels and sometimes it gets weird right away <laughs> i've been in both kinds of both kinds of games um but that was like the first big D character i played a vampire character that also grabbed me for a while um i had a, i've had a number of characters i've got been attached to um from the gming side as well and mainly they've been either like like semi meme characters or um characters with fun accents that or characters that are playing radically against type um 
I, I like I like those as uh uh as GM. Like I had um I had in in my Dark Heresy campaign, I had this character called Lazy Bob. <clears throat> or was it Lazy Bob or Lazy Jeff, something like that. And he was just a guy that would show up in every like setup place. So they walk into a tavern in a mutant district where they heard their contact is right. And there's a dude there that is the kind of the gatekeeper to the contact. And he's just this shiftless, like just takes everything with like, you want me to do what type <laughs> attitude? <laughs> and he would just show up in places as this, this meme character and he would be different every time. Right. But he would just be the same acting guy. He'd be a mutant in one case or like a dark Eldar in another case or like, um, you know, and, uh, yeah. And he, sh I, I put him in different games too. Like a, he showed up in a shadow of the demon Lord game. I ran for the same group. Um, just because he, he was a meme character across campaigns at that point. Um, Another character I really enjoyed playing was uh, Hans, the Nosferatu vampire in um, the mage campaign I ran. Uh, and he was an SS officer. And this was before, this was before I might add, uh, Inglorious Bastards came out. And when the gaming group went and saw the movies, they were like, holy shit, dude, you're carrying that's, that's the guy. <laughs> like, and I was playing him like that sort of effeminate, like German type, except the the where where he was in the campaign was like this was you know modern day so and he was like as a character i played him as like yeah i was just following orders i didn't it wasn't not it's not my thing you know i just just went along with everybody else i don't believe in that stuff you know so eh. okay. <laughs> So he's the, but the, 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 the thing is the players got so attached to him that when I had him, um, uh, hunted down by vampire hunters, the mage characters that the players were playing went after the vampire hunters, okay. like to rescue the vampire that was. Okay. So there's a few things here that are standing out. Mm -hmm. So. One of the first ones that I wanted to get early on was to mention that playing something mechanically, that's what you want to play. Mm -hmm. I don't think that really actively attaches you to the character, but not being able to play the way you want to seems to make it so that it's a barrier that prevents you from growing attached to the character. Yeah. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case in terms of personality. Like what you've described for like the last few examples were basically there's a personality quirk here. There's something that makes this character stand out. It has personality to it beyond just, you know, a standard archetype. Like there's something unique about them. And even in NPCs, like you do find this in a lot of games that people in a lot of games, like the idea of like, oh, this is their favorite NPC. Like the players 
it's not a player character. It's just some random throwaway NPC who is supposed to be like a gob, a random goblin mm-hmm. in the tavern. But the players just, why have you spent like half an hour interrogating the goblin? Because we like the goblin. Like, this doesn't have anything to do with camp. It doesn't matter. We like the goblin. So they just grow, like, really attached to this. And it's like, usually when they do that, the GM usually just throws. It's almost like an instinctual thing, it seems to be, that the GM's like, okay, I'll throw some random something on the character, like something on this NPC. They have some personality trait just because... Like, I didn't plan this. I wasn't expecting them to even look at this character. This, there's like 20 people in here. Why are they attached to this one? But as soon as they do, they attach like some sort of personality to it. And then that tends to just snowball very quickly. Like, they, they grow very quickly attached to the character. And it does seem to be a large part is their personality. And it's not just like the the characters that the the players themselves are playing, but any character that they run into in the game. Well, this might actually fit in really nicely with what uh, Kavor was going to say about the uh, one-shot characters, because these are basically still uh, personalities that the character might interact with on a short-term basis. Um, and these still form attachments quite quickly to them because they have, I don't know, some quirk or characteristic that really stands out that appeals to the, the players. So um, what about, the, does some of that translate to what you were going to say before about um, one-shot characters? Bit, not quite in the same way, although I can see that as a thing that to get built in an investment. But those, with things like that, you never know what's going to land, so it's difficult for that. Uh, how you how I typically get invested in a one shot character because you know if I get a pop properly leech energy I need to be invested anyway uh, is I basically think of something think of a character who can have a fairly complete story in a one most interesting day of their life style deal like. Think of how I can get a short, satisfying character arc and then get something completely different instead. Because, you know, role-playing games. Right. Anyway, but no, uh, I guess, like... Or... uh, The the short version is... uh, Make sure that the character has an immediate problem and an immediate connection to the environment and... Something that can be resolved. Make sure there is something that you can resolve in a one-shot in the built into the character. And that tends to work a lot better in creating investment in one-shot characters for me. Mm. Uh, so, so having sort of the achievable goal right away is something that... Um, the achievable goal is the wrong word. Short-term okay. is more important, <laughs> is what I'll say. I don't know how to phrase it better than that. Like, why? Why not achievable? 
it's still interesting to see people fail spectacularly when they shoot for the moon. I see. Yeah, you should definitely shoot for the moon. Fucker deserves it. Yeah, I don't care what the moon is. Good. You won't mind when it's gone. <laughs> kill them, really. That's the reflecting principle. We need that. Yeah. Did, we do have another thing from our chat. Uh huh. But actually, there's a couple things, but there's one that I actually want to argue with. Okay. Which cool. is shocking. Yeah. I have to argue with stuff. It's. It's my raison d'etre, however it's pronounced. For, anyway, for France. Reason to exist, whatever. Yes. So uh, it says, say this first and often to the players. Your job is to play your characters as though they were real people in whatever circumstances they find themselves. Cool, competent, dangerous people, larger than life, but real. My job is... MC is to treat your characters as though they were real people too, and to act as though Apocalypse World were real. I do have a minor issue with this. And the biggest issue I have is that the definition of what people tend to view as real or an issue that a lot of games have on focusing on things being realistic. Mm -hmm. Realistic usually isn't all that fun. And what people define as real, especially for real characters, also aren't very accurate to reality because Florida Man exists. Just going <laughs> to point that out there. Like, yeah. It's I, not I, just that there are weird people. It's that there's also people that just don't fit into these things very well. Like myself, I do. I would not count as a real character for most of these games. Like if, if literally it turned out like tomorrow, oh, there's aliens. They came down and they literally just send like a flying saucer at everybody's freaking house to introduce themselves in person. This would not phase me. I'd have like a normal conversation with them. I wouldn't even treat them weird. Most people would go like berserk or crazy or they treat them like celebrities. I wouldn't even see them as strange. And no, I'm pretty certain that'd be true for my case. Oh my god, what I was gonna say. Or, uh, I feel like there are some situations where... Where are we going? What is going... What's happening? I, I do not know. Uh, real... Uh, yeah, real is not bled, but uh, I do kind of agree that there is... Uh, how should I phrase this? There are things that, that are definitely true in this world that are completely unrealistic by the set, but, like, by fictional and emotional realism. And, like, that, those two things are completely different from each other. Uh, to how yeah. people think things should work and how things actually work, barely communicate. <laughs> so, and when you're when you are in a fictional setting, um, generally speaking, uh, coherent to emotional truth is more important. Is yeah. something I say a lot, and it's something I truly believe. Although I do, since 
This is a bit of a strange topic for me because investment does not necessarily like how should I say this? Uh, there's a certain level of detachment I have to everything that means like some people when I talk about character investment, they're talking about like living in the headspace, not an abstract or like God, there's a term I'm looking for that is important to people that I'm completely forget. Bleed is an bleed. No, it's not bleed. No, I didn't think so. Uh, God, it's, what's that called? It's, uh, something that people keep saying is really important, but that I did, Investment. did definitely do not engage with in role playing games, despite immersion. That's the immersion. Ah, okay. Yes. Like character player separation is I a fair amount of it exists even in characters like the characters I'm most invested in are definitely ones where I'm consciously thinking differently and like detached from like I'm talking about something that is something that is mm-hmm. separate from me at all times, etc. I don't like I, third, I will always use third-person pronouns, and I don't, like, instead of talking in the first person when refer, when using character dialogue, etc. Anyway, because there, there was a detachment I'm talking about fictional entity. Anyway, uh, I forgot why I brought that up. And that's probably, I think just feels relevant. Because, because immersion doesn't hook you. Yeah, or the, the intent of immersion in a game wouldn't be effective on you, actually, with yeah. a design perspective. Yes. But... People have different things that they find immersive, too, and it's not always good. Yeah. Like, one of the weirdest examples of this was um, when they first were, like, way back in World of Warcraft's beta, like, alpha testing. Was alpha or beta, but anyway, basically they were first going to add the concept of flight paths, where you could fly quickly from one part of the map to a very different part of the map. You'd just sit there and it would do this for you. You just had to pay a little money for it in the game. But the, this actually created a really big angry outcry at the time, because like the only MMORPGs at the time, you had to walk cross-country slowly on foot and people were really angry because no this is going to break the immersion if you don't have to take like literally eight hours to walk across the map (laughs) i remember those arguments (laughs) the arguments against fast travel yep yeah yeah but 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 there is no immersion value if I get up and leave the game because I need to go get a drink because this is boring. Yep. But this was like a really weird situation where you could clearly see some people had a completely and totally different concept of what was immersion breaking from other people. Mm-hmm. It was so ridiculously clean cut. I was like, okay, there's clearly different things that people consider to be immersive and immersion may not be the best thing anyway like Kavora was saying like just because something's immersive some players aren't going to want to be immersed or Mm -hmm. it 
they may not be able to be immersed or this just isn't something that they want to do. So just right. Because, right. oh, it's immersive. It doesn't actually mean that you're attached to the character, oddly enough. Like, even if you feel like you're like, I'll actually use like a personal example. Like there was a period in my life where I spoke everything about myself in third person because I did not want to live in my life. Mm. It was very immersive and I was actively trying to decouple myself from that immersive experience because I did not mm. want to be immersed in my life. Yeah. So it's like, this can be true in a game as well. Like if like you don't necessarily want immersion value and it doesn't necessarily make you more attached to the character. Hmm. Hmm. It's an interesting point. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's the, it, that is an interesting point because it's, it goes, um, it, I, I, I would say it kind of, uh, flies in the face of the traditional, what what I often see on design forums about um, about uh, this sort of striving towards immersion at all costs that seems to be a perennial. Maybe it's not so much anymore, but this is a, I used to see this a lot. Um, people talking about uh, increasing immersion in games, um, and I wonder if that was because. They were people in a similar situation to yours where they wanted the closeness to the game to to distance themselves from their lives. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I definitely have been in that, that spot too. And uh, I can see the advantage to distancing yourself like that although i haven't really thought about it before in those terms but it's 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 an interesting way of framing it yeah it's, huh. it's a little bit weird but like you don't want to grow too attached to things either like not even just attached because that is different from this immersion thing like very attached to a, a character that like i would consider myself very attached to a certain character that I, I don't know how to phrase this. I, I, I'm very attached to a character that is very disconnected to my own identity. Let's put it that way. That yeah. I do fly in, but strangely enough, like my the game I'm working on right now, um, Zarsa is you. The way it's set up is it wants you. To, like it's developed so that you could grow very attached to your characters, but strictly not immersed. Strangely enough, because it is dealing with very difficult topics, like dealing with the very nature of what makes you who you are and calling into question the very nature of your own existence. Like you do not want that to be extremely immersive you do not want that to be something that's attached to you personally in the sense that you are experiencing this firsthand that's a good way to have like really bad mental issues come out of it like you should not be immersed in this situation 
now it's okay to see like a character that you really are attached to that you really like that yeah they may be a totally flawed character but you like watching them go through these situations and wrestle with these kinds of difficult situations sure but you don't want to be immersed for that kind of storyline this is something that you want to keep at arm's length anyway i think that was a weird tangent that uh was it is but i think it's important uh, yeah uh god at least, at least it makes clear the distinction between attachment and immersion which i wasn't uh weren't distinct concepts in my mind before. Okay, uh, so we should probably talk about actual game design at some point. What? <laughs> so I feel like we at any point touched on that. That's a good point. Yes. So how do you design, how, how do you design for increased attachment? What what are what are some things that other games do that uh, increase attachment? Uh, uh, it, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how the how how do games increase attachment in their character? That that are that is Gab, am good. Me talk so good tonight. Before we talk about yours, despite the fact that our audience has said, Rob, please talk about your game. <laughs> so how do they handle attachment? Okay, so how do I how do I promote attachment to your character in Ashes? Um, this is something I thought about a bunch because. Uh, that seems to be important to me, at least insofar as uh, I, I'm I'm concerned with attachment insofar as it prompts you to be curious about that character and the world they inhabit. Um, that that's that's the attachment I guess I'm going for at the core. So if I'm not, if that doesn't translate, then I I, I have I've screwed up. So um the way i i do that is by um so this sort of middle out story idea where you start with somewhat of a blank slate you get asked uh you are you've given some prompts to to fill in some blanks and ask some questions with specific answers and that starts you on the character creation journey and then you fill in some backstory uh, as you remember more about what what just happened, um, and you start to fill in the world in the same way. So as you are moving through the game, uh, you are ha having memories of uh, before and re-experiencing the uh, trauma that got you to where you are and that you suffered on the Day of Wrath, and then also. Um, noticing the future threats coming and the future goals that you have set for your character um or that your character has set for themselves really i hope um and uh the idea that you are setting up that you are always laying your own track in ashes is one of the main ways i promote attachment so you are always sort of giving yourself something new to investigate and generally speaking the 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 way it works is the threads should branch enough times that it gives you stuff to 
be interested in and stuff that sort of falls by the wayside and the choices you make about what you invest in are what creates the story so you know there's something i'm noticing very strongly related between your game rob mm -hmm. and uh, mark's praxis mm -hmm. which is that in both the games you basically start off with you know your tabula rasa your blank slate almost and as you play through the game it defines the nature of the character as you're going through it and this is not a bad way to do attachment because as you play a character the situations they get themselves into and how they deal with things tend to attach them to the players like the players mm -hmm. remember oh yeah remember this time like when they finally managed to like after all this time they actually discovered that like the the reason they were on like this blood vengeance quest was to avenge like their murdered sister oh they they actually discovered that she was actually still alive kind of thing like that kind of thing does attach the the players and the characters very strongly to one another i found yep absolutely so, so you two doing this is a very good way to attach themselves especially like mark's get it set up so that the very nature of who your character is changes as you play them and rob's got it set up so that as you're playing your character it also establishes their background mm -hmm. in the future as well so like you're going both into the past and the future at the same time mm -hmm. so I, I think these are both very good things for attaching yeah yeah i hope so i mean it's it, i mean it is engineered hopefully to do to do that because there's there's i mean i've noticed where i've i've gotten attached to characters in certain games and it's because you know they have a you know for some characters it was as simple as being able to realize some build potential in in like dnd &D or something like that like real like hitting level 13 was like the build kicks into high gear and it does something really cool at that point um you know that was a reason to play a character for some characters uh that was what kept me invested in uh i wouldn't say well that was what kept me invested that was one of the things that kept me invested in in those games um uh so being able to um instantiate those goals for yourself within the framework of the narrative as well as within the mechanics of the game felt important to me so that's one of the things i wanted to model and then the other thing was um the the, the backstory filling like backstory is really cool but it's really hard to um it's really hard to figure out the optimal amount of backstory when you start i found and so um some players will really want to have a lot of backstory uh and and really have something fleshed out so they have a place a really rock solid place to start from so that they can have a arc, uh, an arc and some players will have no idea about 
what they want their backstory to look like. And I feel that the build as you go thing facilitates both, or I wouldn't say facilitates, but maybe gives both of those players a way to reach for as much backstory as they want. Um, you know, there I don't particularly limit how much you have. There's just always costs or things you're sacrificing or something you're giving up to gain something. So nothing's free. So, you know, the more backstory you fill in some, some something, you, you know, you, you may discover additional trauma in your past and that's something that's going to limit you uh, now. And so, you know, the more backstory you want to build into your character, the more story opportunities you may have now, um, or you can play your character in such a way that they don't have a lot of backstory but they can instead be focused on a lot of future goals and be moving towards those things. So whatever you feel like is, is fun to explore in a game, hopefully there's a pathway for it. Um, and so I'm not trying to, I'm trying to give people multiple avenues to become attached to their characters, I suppose, in the, in the ways that I've seen people become most attached uh, and, and hopefully by creating some um some some kind of mechanical symmetry in those two options such that either neither play style feels particularly overpowered uh compared to the other uh has been something that's been somewhat tricky because it's not quite obvious how to do that but um yeah. I'm just reading West <laughs> No, she's got a good point, though. I actually mm -hmm. want to bring that up, which is yeah. specifically the thing. It is putting the emotional labor and thought in the present of player rather than purely asking them to do it through backstory or to get overly bloated before the inevitable, oh, in play, this character is different. Because mm -hmm. if you make like a ton of backstory and it's like, here's my 19 page backstory. And then like you actually play the character in actual gameplay. And it's like, this is nothing like what the backstory says. Yeah, right. right. There's, there's always that, 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 that opportunity to radically diverge before. Yeah. It, it's the discord of that, that makes everybody at the table go, what? <laughs> right. It's like, yeah. Yeah. So, or when somebody shows up with the cat, the backstory of of I'm a first level character that's already slain a dragon, type stuff, and right. you're know, like, uh, I mean, that's that's nice and all, but like, uh, can you? That's not really. That's not what we're doing. <laughs> so we, we all kind of agreed, like we're gonna play it from first level on, and we sort of there's. See the thing about the thing about games like that is there's there's a hard conception of what first level means. Yeah, uh, and it it's <sighs> so like one of the things I've tried to avoid. Like, so if if, if for example, it, it, the, the way I kind of address that in ashes, or at least I hope people can can use the tool to be like, all right, hey, you know what? It'd be really interesting to start out super powerful. Um, we can just you can play through a ton of the backstory all at once if you wanted. 
and then you're that, that will affect your power level but it'll also like give you a whole bunch of you know crazy stuff to to deal with it's but one of the things that that always struck me as tricky about games like D D is not having a readily modulatable what is that even a word uh uh power curve. Like, gir- gir- it's a word okay uh I just power curve, like, like, there's no real rule so the rules are if it makes sense it's it functions as a word so therefore it is a word this is not the same as french because french has authorities on what is a word very good okay so modulatable so uh, so so like gurps has a power curve where it's where you have a point by any any system with a point by or uh any system where you can readily um readily count up power in in point value even if it doesn't have a point out point value system um you can do this and you can start the power curve anywhere you can have super powerful starting characters like a mutants and masterminds or um shadow run if you want or um, what have you uh and those you can have you can start with a different type of campaign rather than the uh rags to riches story you can start from the you can you can have a richest rag story where you know the players can if if that's the kind of game everybody's on board with you can have one where like everybody starts super powerful and all like stuff gets taken away from them and then they can scrabble it back and you know there there's other stories to be told that that the um the standard model of uh start with nothing ascend to godhood scale however that looks in 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 a particular game um doesn't doesn't allow or doesn't I don't want to say doesn't allow, but doesn't readily prompt certain story mechanics from happening. Mm. Story arcs, story mechanics, story flows. Yeah. yeah. Tropes. Mm. And I'd like to get into one thing too, though. Mm-hmm. Like, I'd like to cover an alternative way of doing this, which is sort of more how I've built it. Like, you've gone with like the concept of like, you don't so much have a backstory. You start with, you know, here's the blank slate. And as you explore the backstory in game, it creates new story as you're going. Mm-hmm. Now I've tried to handle this a little bit differently for how I'm doing things. Like I'm trying to actually get people attached to their characters before they're done character creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that happens. I've definitely experienced that. Yeah. So now, I know that can happen, yeah. Now, there's a few ways to do this, and I've tried to exploit as many of them as possible. <laughs> so one of the first things is trying to set up, like, a backstory, as Sabrina was saying, was not a good idea. Like, if you start up with, like, here's your detailed backstory, you're going to find out that your character doesn't actually play that way in the game, usually. So the main thing that I end up setting up there before anything else is setting up the character's personality. So first part of that is set the baseline of what's normal. That's like the first thing in your character creation is pick their species, not because it's like, oh, pick your race and class. It's because 
your species and your culture that you grew up in and such, this establishes what is normal for people of your type. Now, the thing is, anytime you have like an established setup of like, oh, this is normal, then player characters tend to be the exceptions to the rules. So are you going to be the paragon of this where you are the absolute embodiment of it? You stand apart from everybody else because you don't cover like, well, I cover like, you know, maybe two thirds of the traits. I'm fairly normal, but I don't really stand out that much. No, if you cover like almost a hundred percent of like the embodiment of like what this culture is known mm. for, like you actually stand out as something like one of the Greek demigods or something. Like these actually do kind of stand out in their own way as important. The alternative is, well, you stand apart because you don't live up to the standards of the culture that you've grown up in. But until you know what your culture is, you can't really pick one or the other, can you? So establish a person establish like what's normal and then how you differ from normal and as soon as you've established something about your character that's different from normal that's something that the player comes up with that basically means the player has done something that says my character is unique it's my character because they do something that is not normal mm -hmm. right so you've already yeah. attached a little bit to the player. Yeah, I I I, I pull the same trick that uh, that Thirteenth Age does and gives players uh, sort of a uh, that one unique thing that they get to pick. So I have the scarring is you you can it can be anything you know it's you pick you look at the our list of Arcana and um, and then sort of imagine a way one of those could damage you in a way that that was permanent but just and supernatural that, that something weird happened to you and you are scarred and whatever that looks like is up to you having built characters in your game a couple of times now mm -hmm. i actually say the scarring did not really do anything for me it was actually creating uh -huh. the uh the failing of the civilization that did it okay it was the civilization civilization had a downfall because it was focused on these basic principles and basically they got carried away with this particular thing and because you were an integral part of it like your, mm -hmm. your player character was maybe you were a senator maybe you were the the person in charge of like production of the golems that were replacing humanity mm -hmm. uh, any of a number of things like you did something that made you directly accountable for why this place went to hell and it's your fault that actually ended up being the thing that made me connect uh, attached to my character yeah so. right yeah well i mean it's like i said I mean, you're you're taking the, the the exploiting as many avenues. I'm doing the same thing. It's just like here's some people will like I, I one of my um like my brother's girlfriend, for example, when we we played uh, a couple of years ago, she 
she really attached to the scarring thing. Like that was her big end to the game. And she was like, she had the, she, she conceptualized herself as having these giant goat horns and um, that she exuded this like pheromones. I was like, okay, that's freaking weird, but sure. Um, and yeah, that's such just, a weird it, thing to be a scar. Doesn't everybody have those? I thought that was normal. <laughs> um, it, it, wow, what did she call it? This because she pricked primal magic or something. Was it? Yeah, it was primal magic, and then it was the thing like her pheromones were were yeah. She exuded sex pheromones, and then when she something happened, so like the scarring has baked into it this idea, the idea that there's some power residing within the scar, and that was the. Actually, I think he called it the horny goat weed scar. <laughs> she called it. <laughs> uh, but whatever. Yeah, that's that's was, the best part of the game is like people people just picking like weird shit. Like I, I I love that part of character. Like going through that part of character creation with people is always fun because like I just get mm-hmm. there's there's stuff I never would have thought of. Um. Uh, yeah. Let me see. yeah. There's a bunch more in my game for that kind of thing as well Mm -hmm. one of the main things that i think actually has helped a lot with this and for avoiding the issue with a backstory Mm -hmm. is rather than list backstory up front for the most part there's a few key events that might happen in somebody's life but it's just this is one or two things that stand out for for to memory kind of thing that might have affected you like a trauma or something. Yeah. You don't go into the full uh, details of somebody's backstory. What you do is you determine their personality. Mm-hmm. So the main thing that I found for that, there's basically two main parts to, that you can use to define most people's personalities I've discovered. Um, the first part, is basically what they value. So their value hierarchy, like this actually came about by accident. I was trying to redo like the D&D alignment system so it would work. (laughs) And it didn't. Mm -hmm. What I ended up doing was basically, okay, go through like every personality test, every way to define like characters in different games in movies uh different character types in um novels you know any kind of story Mm -hmm. and boil all of these down to where they overlap the most like can you describe these these character concepts as being the same thing and when i broke all of those down i was only able to find 12 in total i'm sure i've since found two more but they don't really work for telling stories but basically these are the primary values for a character and it's things like being the center of attention and valued for such um facing challenges and overcoming them things like your personal freedom taking care of others, things like that. Mm. Like, these are the kinds of things that you can basically describe as this is something the character considers to be very important in their life. Right. 
when you define this as an overwhelming part of this character, you've already defined most of what you need to figure out what a character is going to do in a certain situation. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need 20 pages of backstory. You just need to know if I am faced with five possible options, but I have one thing that really stands out above everything else that is important to me, it kind of tells you what one of those options you're probably going to take in most situations. Hmm. I, yeah, I think you're right to an extent. Um, I, I guess the way I do it, I let the, I mean, I, I let the player discover the values as they go. Right. So that's, Hmm. um, the prompts, like how they build out the character, like the advancement is, is, is them discovering their values like it's just a thing that's on the character sheet there's a line called values it's right there um and um uh where were they going with that that was oh no i wanted to back up for a second because i uh sabrina asked a question in chat um we'd be saying people's names on the thing probably i don't know nah uh i okay Cool. Sabrina says she's fine with it. Great. Um, and she asks, I'm curious what Ashes, what came first in character creation, scars of the civilization? Okay, so uh the way I do it is um when you the players sort of pick a uh playbook for the setting, uh, and that determines the civilization that the that got wrecked, and then stuff goes from there. So there's there's an initial choice of what uh, themes uh, people find interesting, and that sort of boots up a particular setting. So, like uh, the setting that is I'm I'm working on for the playtest is um, uh, a theocracy, right? So that when that with that investigates that theme and what. Uh, so that would be like religious oppression, um, a, a caste system. Uh, there's a lot of ways you could investigate um, how a theocracy goes wrong. Um, so, but it gives you a starting point, right? And then, um, then everything else flows from there. So that gives you, once you pick that, that gives you sort of like, here's the arcana that the theocracy valued and then in your particular region what arcana were valued and then that would be that would inform you as to whether your your place was a your region was like loyalist or was it sort of separatist or was it rebellious or were there you know some some um some values in common with the overall society or were you divergent sort of like a pocket population these are all kinds of things that'll emerge from the um the choices the players make in the beginning what what they find interesting what they want to explore so just just those sort of large fictional questions um sort of get filled in as a result of other choices the players make just because they want to investigate certain things. Um, 
I want to add one thing as well because Sabrina also pulls up another mm-hmm. point. Uh, with the playbook for world it lets players put a lot in to their own or be surprising in that way is what she was saying yeah i think there's actually something to be said significantly for if you attach the the player's interest in the world then they make their character within the world they tend to by default be attached to their character automatically Mm -hmm. to some degree yeah yeah exactly i I know the thing um what worked about when we, uh, Jonathan and I made a, a tried out Praxis, we, we answered the 10 questions. We were, Jonathan and I were immediately stoked to play in that setting because it was every, everything we found cool about all those 10 questions just bundled into one area. And it was like, oh man, the setting's already awesome. I can't wait to play a character in this. Yeah. You know, so, so that was, I, I learned a lot from, from doing that. I was like, oh man, this is a great way of, of of baking in engagement right away to give the players a stake. I up to that, I would say up to that point, but I was leaning towards the, you know, the the characters are building out the world as they go type thing. But when you did it with like ten questions, and I was like, ah, okay, I'd have to do something where I was like, I'm going to give this because your your prompts are really good, right? They they there's they're just they're just directed enough so that they give you an interesting um what like there's because it, it bubble, like you're like what do you want to be interested in it's a yeah. direction without telling you this yeah. is exactly what you have to create in there it's like here's a space fill it yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, exactly every player sense of ownership too over not only their character that they have to build within the space but also just like what kind of game experience you're looking for so I think everyone's immediately engaged and being like, oh, I get to decide what kind of experience I'm, I want to have today. And that's going to be part of the game world. And that, I think, is exactly like, that's the creative exercise that I think gets people engaged with like the activities that they're doing to, to play in this kind of space. So I think it fits perfectly with like how the game is built to try to get you to be invested in your character's growth. Mm, cool. Um Let's see. It's it's pretty late in the show, but uh, I'm gonna. Sabrina's been in uh, audience little session, and she's been asking some questions. And she, let's. Uh, I am curious about uh, what her experiences with uh, characters are. So I'm just gonna let's see the invite to speak thing. Let's see how this guy works. Hello. Thanks, broken. Oh, it worked. Ooh. Well, Welcome. Think... Hello. Okay. Hello. Yes. yes. Cool. Um, so where do you want me to start when it came to uh, specific examples of character attachment? Or was it like one of as someone who usually plays one of the designs or uh, game masters, what I'm looking for? Uh, I would say just the specific instances of like, like what was something that stood out to you as like, oh, I'm really attached to this character. Mm-hmm. And, um, in, you know, when you, when you mm-hmm. noticed something where it was like, oh, wow, I'm, uh, this, is, this feels very real to me. I think the moment that comes to mind is some characters have this, some don't, or some games encourage us more than others, but there's a moment where the, the click moment for me might be when can I imagine a character be like within play where then thinking about the character on a meta level um, in a TV show or movie kind of aspect. So what is this opening shot of this character doing? Right. Or in play, is there a moment where it feels like the connection of 
the connection of playing the game, that is to say, engaging with the mechanics and engaging with the systems, and the playing of the character has a good flow to it. So an example might be Spire. Um, the game demands that you have advances for uh, ch making changes to the Spire and one that feels effortless, and there is not that having to flip-flop between I'm engaging with the mechanics, I'm engaging with affection and attachment kind of uh, goes up and down that way. Um, is definitely helpful. A specific example that comes to mind is there is a D, &D character that I got attached to who eventually went on a the concept was what if you took a Victorian goth elf lady and then made them more emotional and attempting to be emotionally supportive. And also recognizing that the game was not giving me tools. It was the specific group that I was playing with that was being encouraging in that way. Oh, okay. Um, right. Makes and sense. There are times when the game would push against that. For example, whenever there was a charm being used as part of me, just like if I get caught with this charm, do I just want to drop the character? That sort of frustration or worry. Um, but uh, wait a second, I don't, I don't understand that. What do you mean? So there were times when, in asking to be attached to a character, um, it is also be asked to not only about the outcome, but you to be respected as a player. By that I mean, a game in asking for you to be invested in a character is saying that. Playing this character, investing the energy, time, effort, and care both to play and to make up with them involves that the rewards or the punishments should feel suitable or fair. Um, not necessarily in a like, pure emotional way, but if a character makes a mistake, I should not feel like they're just going to die. I should throw them in the trash. Um, I see. Some okay. Some better than others, right? Yeah. Um, and the exact specific example was they went on an adventure um, with a... Um, Basically, both D&D, so lore applies, etc. But there was a uh, drone noble who they met on an adventure, and they were going to be uh, heading off to a mountain after uh, at the end of an adventure, absorbing or fighting some weird demon and getting some weird shadow powers. The party ran, and the character, after the session, decided to talk to this NPC and eventually decided to adventure with them, which was like eventually splitting from the party, going on an adventure. And it basically lasted for eight months of getting attached. And there was a lot of, okay, how does this scene might go? Uh, how does the player want to communicate this character changing over this long of a period of time? And what can I do as a player to make sure that the GM and the rest of the group finds this interesting? Um, but also recognizing that that can backfire too, because it is in a way asking for me to ignore what the game demands, which is D&D usually a combat-specific game. So mm -hmm. me being invested is putting more labor, which can be healthy or unhealthy, especially when it's like, oh, this character is part of identity, but then the game is like disregarding that, um, things like that. Um, and it eventually ended well, like the character retired, hooked up with Draw Lady, even though by base lore and rules, it's like, well, technically the way that of you have cells in society would go this, this, and this, so it's important to you need to get that space so there's that important also the game does not feel contradictory. Um, especially when it's the difficulty where the longer you play and the more uh what's the word? Um times things backfire. So if a character just suddenly dies at level one and you put so much investment into it, uh oh, yeah. you disconnect there, right? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that's something that I've I've seen happen. And it's just always a letdown. I mean, the way I hedge, I mean, Ashes has built-in safeguards so that that doesn't happen. That's yeah. like the whole thing is like, yeah. yeah, you externalize your costs. So if you're a neophyte 
faded you and something like would kill you what happens is is it doesn't kill you because fate's protecting you and you're i mean you're instinctively protecting yourself yeah. with the weave and you just shunt it off to somebody else sure. basically so somebody else dies yeah. and you're like oh mm-hmm. i don't know how to control my abilities shit yeah, and that's own character yeah. moments in itself right um right. Or Spire yeah. does this in saying your character will die so it's okay i can invest in this character or can you use that as a base the game is giving you uh yeah. to have it level there and that's also an honesty that not all games have but they definitely should yes absolutely that's actually a really important part for um growing attached to your character as well is what we were saying at the or at least what i was saying at the start was the idea Mm -hmm. that you have to have like an expectation that your character will still stick around that that issue if your character dies at level one if this is your first character, you're not going to want to put a lot of investment into the character that comes after them. This is, it's not just punishing the character, it's punishing the player mm-hmm. in such a way that the player does not want to be attached to the characters that come in the future. Yeah. So the way Rob's game does this is actually a very clever way because it means, well, they have consequences. Like they had a friend that they, cared about oh their friend's dead not them Mm -hmm. oh they have to actually deal with the emotional fallout that came with that and that that kind of difficult uh situation that the player goes through Mm -hmm. or well the character goes through but the player experiences as well Mm -hmm. they grow more attached to their character by having gone through that rather than less by well we just threw the character out we're going to make a new one yeah has no further attachment to it. And yeah. who puts it in the hands of the players more, because sometimes there's a situation where if it's in the hands of the GM or the dice, there can be difficulty where like it's meaningless, or depending on the structure of authority within a group or a game, then there could be that whole, is the player satisfied with it? And uh, I believe it's hard to see beneath, as an example might be, you can have a character die retire with a zenith move, which is when they finish their calling, which is the fictional reason to engage in the heart or do this kind of bloodborne-esque adventure, then you have methods for retiring or getting that closure. And when you put yeah. it in the player's hands, it also gives more tools for the entire party and the GM. Um, because it is also saying, this is how I want this character to go out. And it's giving them closure instead of the game saying hard no or you die or that sort of frustration. Yeah, I, I I totally on board with it. I mean that's that's yeah, right? That's one of the things that it, like everything I mean it's like as as we've done this podcast for like how many years have we been doing this now? It's almost two and it's half. over uh, two and a half, yeah. Geez. Um the I think like most of what our design aims at like the people that that are on this show and and sort of like the ethos behind like a bunch of our games is just sort of designing out all of the really crappy moments that (laughs) that happen in games like the ones that really soured us on a game but we like gaming so much that we're going to come back to it anyway even though even though we, we 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 had this thing and or you know where I've seen I've seen uh, friends get soured on yeah. on a on a game yeah. where it was like, and I did it as a GM, but the game let me down. The game mm-hmm. put me in this position where I I rolled the dice and I followed all the rules, and the game ended up making it harder to play. Especially and when the, the game doesn't have safety tools or like doesn't encourage that sort of thing. 
um, right. and that's more of a modern design thing. And it's very much yeah. like, how can we fix experiences we had or prevent others mm-hmm. in the future? Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's designed towards mitigating unnecessary suffering mm-hmm. on some level. Yeah. That's like, that's, and it's like, we're here to have fun, right? The entire purpose of this game, of, of, of this activity is to um, temporarily, well, it's always temporary, but mm-hmm. to beautify time, you know, among five people, we're all going to collaborate and have a much better time together than we would have apart. And, um, and and we have this set of rules that's going to facilitate that and help us tell a really cool story. And when those rules fly your game into the fucking mountain mm-hmm. and you're just like, everybody hates each other right now. What happened? Yeah, and you're like, I, and, I and you, you, you want to reach through the pages and just and just go like, dude, what did you not play? Did did you not? Did this not happen in playtesting? Did you not? Uh, as part of a little bit of prep for this, I decided to go through some of the texts, including going through the uh, DD5D player uh, handbook and going through things like, oh, this preface I forgot existed. And it just infuriates me because it's like your philosophy of play you're, you're promoting is just not great. And it's just, ooh. It's- yeah, it's 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 not even not it's not great. I I don't care. Like there's there's judgment values on on yes. where you can put like certain principles and stuff like that. <laughs> I I I the only time where I it really gets up my ass is when like your game doesn't function on the level that you say it should. Yes. You know, and it's like okay, you have something on the tin of the game. You have a promise of of a particular experience, mm-hmm. and then I play your game. And and I get I get experience Y when you promised experience X, and I'm like, but I followed your rules, yeah. And <laughs> and and experience X was not achieved, and so now it's like, well, wait a second, is this my fault? Did I did I do something wrong? Did I do something? And and a lot of I know, boy, you see it on forums all the time. Yeah, all people saying like, did I like the D and D game fell apart? What did I do wrong? Yeah. It's like, here's here's what you did wrong. You played D and D. And then you expected D and D to carry the game. Yeah. Like a good GM can carry a game of D and D forever, basically. Uh, you you right, can use D and D as a framework mm-hmm. to, but like it will not, it will not help you. It doesn't provide <laughs> scaffolding, which is yeah. important. You need yeah. to provide that scaffolding or framework. Yeah. And also, yeah. the analogy comes to mind is if you fall, I will pick you back up. And mm-hmm. it's a lot harder for a person, a group, or in some cases, a strangers to do that compared to a game. And also, in order to be attached to a character. If you don't have those safeguards or that feeling of being picked up, then you're just going to be like the analogy that comes to mind is you just fall back down and down and down and down into a well, and it just goes negatively from there. And times when negative RPG experiences can cause actual trauma or actual harm or just like a lot of anxiety or social pressure. And it's, in modern design senses, so easy to fix, but people don't or they're kind of like stuck in the old like well this is how it's supposed to be played when it's like no can you please learn other things try other things please um, yeah that sort of thing yeah and mm-hmm. if you if you're going to do that because that is something that rpgs can do you have to be upfront with yep. that you if if you're going to instantiate a game in which which is going to like meg baker mm-hmm. like has the i will not abandon you rule which mm-hmm. is like you set up here's what this game does Here's a big red flag saying this game is going to show you something that might suck, mm-hmm. and uh, here you go. 
here's how you deal with it. Here's the tools for dealing with it. I've thought about this as a designer. That's what you, because that it's one of the things that bothers me about those little statements in the beginning of like safety lines and veils. And then it's like, okay, you gave me lines and veils. That's fine. But lines and veils, you don't know the thing that's going to trigger somebody until after. <laughs> like, it's, it, yeah. yeah. It, it, lines and veils in my experience always they do two things lines and veils make people uncomfortable when they, when you're bringing up the subject um because you're forcing you know you're not forcing sorry you're asking people to, dis to disclose things that make them uncomfortable and, and, be that's, yeah. and be vulnerable right and you can do that among if you have there's a friend existing friend bond <clears> but like at at a convention table, like, or even at like a game store or like yeah. even among casual friends, that's kind of, yeah. that can be kind of, mm, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's not, it's not that effective a tool. Um, and, you know, it's something that's always bothered me about like where <clears throat> there, there, there are ways to design in um, good guardrails mm -hmm. um, that, uh, keep people from because ideally you don't want to you don't want to push against the line right <clears throat> you want to stop before the line is touched right that because when the line's touched is when people start going start squirming mm -hmm. and so you want to be able to figure out where the line is before you get there and what the way I address that in ashes is when I tell people ahead of time, like, hey, I'm dealing with the apocalypse that comes about as a result of people following their worst instincts. And that's what this game explores. And you may learn something about your own worst instincts if you do this. And that's that's the game it is. And people that are interested by that will be drawn to it. And people that are like, no, I'm good. Well, okay, won't play so. it. and so there's a there's but uh, the but then but then i also say in the game like the expected thing here is we're keeping this pg-13 yep. like and that's 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 the thing if you yep. go further than that that's what i design in if yep. you go outside that now i you're out of my bounds and i'm not i'm hands off you know <laughs> but i've told you what i expect the way that I would put it, just to uh, like add on to what you're saying, is I'm going to quote a little bit of uh, uh, Ruby Solomon, uh, Soleil Ray, who's uh, the designer of the Sentency. Uh, she made this analogy when it came to um, anti-fascism in games, and this applies here in a way of saying that your game has lines and veils, or saying your game's like not to be played for fascists, is not the same as having that baked into your game or designing the game around that idea. And even if your game has those kind of themes that may push that line, you need to still have that the uh, Marty Baker principle there of being able to look at a section of your game or what the game's intent is and say, does this game promote safety? Um, Beams that have this, for example, with the empath and consent very explicitly. Certain moves can instill emotions. You need to talk about this with your table. And it's getting more popular as, like, as an important design principle, but it's also important to not fall into that trap of you, you say something like okay we have lines and veils but if your game doesn't fully integrate that then it can be mm -hmm. a little bit soft baked or seemed um, tacked on that's the word right okay. exactly the tacked on part is the part that to yeah sorry go ahead. back to our actual topic uh -huh. 
<laughs> there is an opportunity to drag this back to the topic. Yeah. So the topic is supposed to be about like how do you attach the players to the characters? You can actually use exactly this method to do so. So in my particular game, for example, uh, the thing that we had covered about establishing like what your character's values are, to actually attach your player to the character actually treads on a lot of what was just covered a moment ago, which is it's not safety. That's kind of the point is the very nature of the game is your character Every character that's on this planet has betrayed their own greatest value. Like the thing that's supposed to be so important to them that they'd be willing to die for kind of thing. Like I will protect my children with my life. And then I strangled one of them to death. Mm. Like that's a pretty terrible thing to do. And that's already going to be like, okay, anybody who's playing this game at the very start of the book it says do not play an avatar of yourself this is a very bad idea because a this is very stressful b the game is not a professional psychiatrist and mm. if you do this to yourself i'm not responsible yeah. don't do this <laughs> but pick something that is going to bother the hell out of your character and make them face up to having to deal with the fact that they have done something terrible that goes against everything they believe in. And when you have a character, for, and this is the final as part of character creation after everything else, after you've kind of set up the personality, there's like one or two maybe traumatic events. And then, okay, here's your character. They have now gone with everything that you know about them, everything you know of their personality, their personality quirks, everything that makes them stand out as an individual, you now have enough information to basically say, there is a situation that came up which made them go back on everything they, they believed in. What was it? Because until that point, you don't have enough information to do this. And this final uh, thing where you basically fuck your character over completely mm -hmm. and make them do exactly the thing that's completely out of character for them right. sets them up for the game as I now want to understand why they did that because they don't know. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And I have to play the game to find out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a hell of a carrot. Um, yeah. And yeah. And now something that comes to mind is how honest you're being about it because you can hear stories of these either stories of stuff like this happening intentionally, like, oh, I broke character, and then, like, it was a lot of emotions and various things. And the fact that your game is fundamentally built around that is also asking for players to recognize, understand, work within their boundaries, and also distinguish that with the characters and understand, like, the, meta the metaphor of driving your character like a stolen car, but at the very start of the game, you're driving off a cliff and seeing you can climb that mountain again. That's yeah. the idea. Yeah, well, the very idea behind all of this is that even if you... It's a, it's a thing about change, like the interesting part of a story 
like why you're telling a story is something is changing throughout the story. Mm-hmm. Like if you end up with exactly the same spot, like even if you come full circle, something is still changed in the way that of what happened. Yeah. But you have to tell a story of the change. For something to change, you first have to establish that there's something to change from. So you have to have a starting point. So you have to have your initial values before you can, you know, Violate call them. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. But yeah. this is required. And if awesome. you do that, the thing is, the, it's okay if you don't understand who your character is or if it seems like they're acting out of character because they don't know who the fuck they are either. That's the whole point of this entire setup mm-hmm. is the characters do not know who they are. The whole thing they're trying to figure out is who am I? Because they don't know. And this is not just a good plot hook. It's a good way to get the players interested in finding this out themselves. And it does something that a lot of RPGs don't do. The it encourages you to think of character development as a requirement instead of. Uh, I feel like a lot of people uh, play D and D and various uh, worlds of darkness, but I find it happens less in PBTA. But that might just be my personal experience, where they will play a character that is the character, and they're just playing an arc. Type and seeing how the archetype bounces off various things, which is entertaining, but in its own way. Like, I'm not going to say there's nothing to that. Right. But your, your game fundamentally demands okay, you're going to have character development. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, can't, you, you actually can't progress in the game after a certain point unless you do. Yeah. But that's the thing, though, like, character development is a lot of the fun because character development doesn't tend to happen under normal circumstances like you go through your life uh, even in reality you don't tend to make fundamental changes in how you view the world unless something big has happened or you've been forced to think about something that's uncomfortable or mm-hmm. like you always wind up in some situation where something interesting has happened. The interesting thing is usually really suck. Like, that's the whole thing why it's a curse. May you live in interesting times is supposed to be a curse. If you're living in interesting times in your own life, it's like, well, these are opportunities for character development. Yeah. I do not like any of them. Please make them stop. <laughs> I know, man. It's just like the last two years of my life has been nonstop character development. And it's been like, it's been good. And also like, holy shit. But it's like this. It's it's like, it's, I was explaining oh, it to Mel the other night. It was like, it, it's like the sine wave of my life got amplified. Yeah. Like where the, the peaks and the troughs got like bigger. Mm-hmm. And that's, I was, yeah. Oh, that's horrible to live through. Yeah. But after you're done, it gives you a lot of interesting stories to say. Yeah. And actually tend to usually have much better life out of it if you survive it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that last part is important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
there's a degree to where both in terms of like the real life and uh, life analogy at RPGs mm-hmm. is that having that space to be able to, for example, have that wave expand or mm-hmm. not, not just the space, but have that, the idea that comes to mind is instead of looking at who you were five years ago, your character was at the start and cringing. There's a like, Oh yeah. Or that's sort of like mm-hmm. clicking there. Um, especially because a lot of the culture of RPGs is about characters going through major changes even yep. if the game's not always about that. And so recognizing and having, having a character change, that also requires a lot of things on the player and the group. Uh, and your game, like, just think about it as a player, is like, oh, I really want to play this. I really want to do this. This sounds great. Um, <laughs> Thank you. Because, uh, or are you for, talking to Cat? Both of you. Both of you. Oh. It's like, oh, I really want to play both of these. These sound amazing, especially because some of the we don't, as humans, like, we understand status quo. We do not always like them. And change can be exciting, even if yep. it's something horrifying, right? And RPGs yep. have this a lot. If a character goes to, like, okay, we're going to a shopping session, that can be entertaining, but in terms of the emotional resonance, it is often the, like, I haven't seen much critical role, but the example that comes to mind is, oh, there was an amazing plot of this entire big story being changed, um, mm-hmm. or just me in general. So having your game support that is very important. Yeah. It, I, I, it, one of the things that's kind of, uh, that I like that I'm noticing as I'm sort of running through, I'm kind of doing Markov chains of mm-hmm. what I'm, con- concepting with this latest iteration because i sabrina you don't know but i, I this uh, this game has been torn apart and reconstructed like a bunch of times over the last eight years uh, uh i think you're i think you're on full version number 53 yeah last time like I saw. um like to the point at last last I mean, like October 2019, I think I had 276 pages and it was like really close to done. And I was like, okay, here's the, okay, now I'm concepting the GM section. Okay, great. I got, I have my concept. I have the other way. Okay, wait, no, no, it's going to do this. It's going to do, wait a second. I can't do, I, oh shit. I have, oh, oh no. Okay. All right. And now, now nuke, start over. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's just like I get to the I get to the crucial part uh-huh. where I'm like at at ninety percent, and like the last ten percent is is just like no, you have to change the, the last ninety percent, dummy. Um, to be fair, and, uh, I, I do think that uh, Rob probably could finish the last ten percent and publish first edition, and yeah. would have possibly been better off for it. But yeah, it would have been the no, exact right. game you wanted it to be. So you know, no. I, I, I could have if I had a publisher, I would have, but I, there was no. I don't have. Yeah, one. yeah, you know, you know, so. a beyond making this podcast more legitimate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we should end up. What time is it? I oh, want to yeah. say one uh, thing more before I finish. Mm-hmm. So, on the topic of background, because we did cover that a couple of times, and there's a couple of different things I want to cover on, but it's that. Background, like if you establish like a background for your character, it actually doesn't do a very good job of enticing the players to want to know much more about the character because mm-hmm. you've already told them what happened. That's not the interesting part. That doesn't make them like the character. Like there's some attachment they'll get just from having wasted like several hours writing out the backstory yeah. but 
that's not a great form of attachment. Like the better form of attachment that I have found is use their background as plot hooks. So mm-hmm. anything put in the background at all, anything that happens in the slightest, make it big, interesting things that are not finished. Yep. There are always cliffhangers. There are always open-ended. Oh, you had this terrible thing happen. Like you're an automaton. You're like a a construct character, and your owner, like your creator, created you. And one day they just didn't come home. This makes attachment for the player because. The player now knows that there's something they don't know about the character and they want to find out. And the character doesn't know either, so the character can't tell them. Yeah. Or sometimes the player may come up with an answer and then that changes the entire dynamic. Or there's situations where you're not making a novel, you're making a TV pilot, or like, what is that step on the gas moment that makes mm-hmm. up? Yeah. The point yeah. is, though, behind all of it is that. You may have a premise, you may have a starting point, but you don't have the end point. If you just go through and like tell the players to make this is your background, like the backgrounds in uh, D&D 5e are terrible. They, yes. they don't add anything. Like you can add it, but all you're going to get out of it is like a couple of skills that you got herded into taking because, oh, well, you're rogue, so I guess you're going to take the stealth background that happened because it's the only one that gives you anything useful for stealth, huh? Yeah. Or reward you for going beyond the group yeah. game itself is not. Or a little penalize you for going beyond it. Yeah. Make a unique half orc paladin. What do you mean? It's not having enough charisma. You're effectively throwing. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. which is not a good way to do that either. That's the previous thing of you're not able to build the character that you want to build. Right. So the point is though behind all of this is that you have to actually attach the the players to the characters by adding things that they are interested in, that they want to do, not things that have already happened. Things that have already happened, the players don't really care about that much because it's like, oh yeah, I read about that. I'm done. It's no, it's like, what do you want to see happen in the future with this character that tends to attach you to them? And then the act of going through those things attaches you further but just having the things already have happened does not attach you really at all. Fully agreed. I think that's a very good place to, uh, that's a very, let's, let's end the show there because it is we've two, uh, two and a half hours. It was a good two and a half hours though. I it's think. a good two and a half hours. Yeah, that's a good note. That's a good that's note to end on. All right. I would like to thank everybody for stopping by. Thank you, Sabrina, for joining us on the, uh, on the, uh, from the audience. And uh, yes. from Cat uh, Cavour, Mark, and myself, uh, good night because it is night where you are. Never also, forget that. What? Do you want to point out that our experiment seems to have worked with having a broadcast where people can actually come into the Discord and ask questions while we're doing the podcast? Yeah. Cool. Join us. <laughs> yeah. This, this session was genuinely improved by having somebody talk at us. 
Can you come and check the Phil Forward Discord and their social media? It's great. Can confirm. This has only been here for what two days, three days. You have you you haven't hit the bottom of our our um our 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 pathology yet. Don't yeah, you'll get there. Um, Fifty bucks to say that. So thank you, Yeah. Yeah. I forget how to end this thing. Where's the stop streaming? Oh, there we are. And stop recording. Uh, right. Oh, Craig, Lave. Oh, misspelled. Lick. Wrong command. Yes. Well, while Rob struggles with this, I'm, I'm probably going to sign off yeah. here. I'm fading, but uh, Sorry, it's really lovely having you uh, join us. Thank you for all your insight and uh, questions. It really did keep the discussion flowing. So thank you for improving uh, our 